With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and well, I don't even know what to really say anymore but we're going to talk about Manchester United's crazy 3-0 draw against Galatasaray. I'd be more than happy if these Champions League games weren't quite as crazy although I don't know how many we've got left as we'll find out over the course of this podcast. It's quarter to ten on Wednesday evening in the UK. Uh, it's a lot later in Turkey, where Andy Mitten is joining us from his hotel room after being at the game tonight. Carl Anker and Laurie Whitwell are also here. Laurie is our official FC Copenhagen, FC Bayern Munich correspondent. He's got eyes on. Anything happens there, we'll react to it, of course. You'll know the score by the time this podcast reaches your ears, but we don't know it at the moment. Andy, I've got to start with you. Uh, forget Copenhagen and Bayern Munich for the minute. What did you make of that? I feel so conflicted, Ian, because I feel that Manchester United played well and did enough to win the game, scored three fantastic goals. At an hour, I thought, surely Manchester United cannot not win this match. You free one up. And yet, this is the team in Europe this season. It's the same old. The team concedes too many goals. I think it's 14 in, in five matches. And they're incapable of holding on to a league. And I just feel very frustrated. But one point from six against Galatasaray. It's not just about tonight, Ian. This has been a pattern throughout this season in almost every Champions League matches. The team cannot hold on to, to leads. I know what the talking points will be. Andre Onana, he, he made high-profile mistakes in the Champions League, which will be extremely costly, probably financially as well. I can pick out positives as well, Ian. The Garnacho, fantastic finish. Bruno Fernandes, Scott McTominay. I thought Anthony had a really good game. As an experience watching it in the stadium, the atmosphere is almost like no other. It's incredible. I know we spoke about it before the game. I went to the game thinking, is this going to be on? It's been raining heavily for the last 12 hours in Istanbul. The streets are like small rivers, just walking through everywhere you go, just rain cascading because it's quite a hilly city. But the game went ahead and the pitch actually looked all right. I was pitch side before the game, but I spoke to people who were on it, who know more about you know, what it's like and the, the pitch held up well. But frustrating, you can probably tell in my voice, one point should have been three points. And I've just watched, I missed the last Metro home at midnight and I got a taxi and the taxi driver had Copenhagen by Munich on. So, oh, is it only nil-nil? I'm sort of watching it. I've come to this city four times to watch Manchester United play. I managed to see three of the games, and I've still yet to see United win one of them. So, 
cursing a little bit. Yeah, United's away form's just been laughable in this competition, really, hasn't it? I mean, how on earth you can score nine goals in three games away from home in a Champions League group stage and have just one point to show for it? I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Laurie, I'll come to you. What's happening in this Bayern-Copenhagen game? Copenhagen nearly scored... Uh, so that would have been curtains, right? Um, two brilliant saves uh, in the 87th minute. And now Bayern Munich in the 93rd minute have just been awarded a penalty for handball. But there's a VAR review. We love a VAR review, don't we? Is there ever oh, a United game? I know that United aren't directly involved in this, but um, you know, in, in some, some regard... Oh, she's ruled it out. The referee has ruled it out now. So no penalty for Bayern Munich in the last oh. uh, yeah, injury time. Uh, I wouldn't be a good commentator, would I? That was an awful description. Sorry, listeners. Um, it, it was a little bit, considering they're all, <laughs> all going to know what happened as well yeah. uh, by the time they, they, they hear this. Um, Carl, there was lots of people calling it a Champions League classic. Um, Laurie may have a different view on this, possibly, and I'll ask him in a moment once he's ripped his eyes away from that fascinating <laughs> other group game in the Champions League for Manchester United in Group A. But it, did you enjoy it? I don't Oh, 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 that, that, just, the Europa League theme was just ringing through my head in those last 15 minutes. Is that what that was? That was my attempt at the Europa League theme. Did you do that the karaoke just... at the Christmas party the other night, Carl? Is that, I did not. Is that what they were, they were treated to? I did not do karaoke at the Christmas party. Um, I thought that was a Gazprom oh. theme tune initially, but it, yeah. Well, there you go. Listeners, you can mail in and tell me if I got that right. I think it's that right. Was, that was not football. Uh, I watched that on TNT Sport. Fletch called that like schoolboy football, the way everyone was following the ball around. Rio Fernand said it was uh, like a basketball game. Uh, I think Fletch said it was a bit like the 12th round heavyweight boxing match where just two, two exhausted people going around in circles trying to find a knockout blow. It was just farcical. I, I know, I know. Andy said, at 3-1 you're going, I can't see United fail to win this. But when United went 2-0 up, when Bruno scored that screamer, I couldn't even celebrate properly. I just went, you've got to get a third here, because I've, I've been here before. I've, I've, I was there at Copenhagen. <laughs> Mate, even a third was, doesn't help. No, Even a third doesn't help, right? Manchester United now are such a weird team that they can be 2-0 up, 3-1 up, and I don't feel comfortable. Because you're always wondering where's the next way they find where's the next way they shoot themselves in the foot they're, they're very it's very juvenile it's really childish ways they keep messing up and it's you, you can hear it in my voice I'm just tired <laughs> there's only so many times I can write a paragraph that is worse to the effect of Manchester United can't control games because they often abandon midfield Laurie I had great fun did, did oh, no one else over. absolutely enjoy that <laughs> No, not even a little bit. Not, there was, there was nothing had, enjoyable about it. I know why you it. had great fun, Laurie, because you weren't the one having to write a piece oh, absolutely. immediately. Yeah, yeah. Dan's doing the match piece and I did the on-whistle piece, so you could just <laughs> yeah. sit there and watch the goals fly. I, just, I, Listen, just I wasn't back. writing any pieces. I didn't enjoy <laughs> it. The, the, the well, last least, 20 minutes was agonising. It was awful. I, yeah, yeah, I totally accept that. It's excruciating. <laughs> and United should have won that game. And the, the fundamental point is that because they didn't win that game, they're now staring at a Champions League exit. It's because it was added League. on to all the other games as well. Like Andy I, Saying before, it felt like you just watched that match over and over and over and over again. In a way, 
Okay, Groundhog Day. Sorry, okay. Laurie, I'm just shouting all over no, you. No, no, I like Carry it. No, this is what <laughs> we want. We'll it. You, should, you should be able to I just loved it because it was just why. absolutely bonkers. It was 90 minutes where you could not take your eyes off, off you know, for me, the TV, um, for a single second because something was happening. Like, all the little instance in it beyond the goals I mean you know United clearly should have won the game from 2-0 should have won the game from 3-1 even should have won the game at 3-3 when they were piling forwards and the amount of times that they chose the wrong option in that was the, the bit, final it? third it was players shooting from the wrong angle even Bruno when he hit the post and, and Scott McTominay when he put it just wide play it into Marshall. Marshall was waiting for so long to get a pass that by the time he did get the pass he kind of tried to overcomplicate it and, and it Turn back into trouble. Diogo Dalla in the in the in the. I'm not sure what minute it was, but why is he picking that cross to Palistri? And I know it then yeah, ended why up into Gormal scramble. Yeah, I mean Marshall was again there for tapping. So yeah, that is frustrating. But at the same time, I just found it absolutely breathless. And I, I, you know, it, it it was football because it was it was it yeah it was stupid childish football. But there was some skill involved there. I mean, the goals that United scored were absolutely brilliant and. Okay, I know you're shaking your head because the the final point is that United are, are basically cost themselves again to, to score three goals away from home for a third consecutive Champions League game, and to have uh, one point to show for that is absolutely scandalous. Um, so yes, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I was, you know, you know, my head was going left and right and sort of up and down <laughs> and kind of you know around in circles a bit like Andrew Nana on the in the centre circle when he did that pirouette that Anthony style pirouette you sort of forget about those little moments like because they just came by in such a flash and then on to the next thing uh, and I guess we'll get on to Onana shortly I think we should get into Onana now to be honest I mean Andy we've we've had a roller coaster ride with him already and he's only he's only played what a quarter of a season for Manchester United he's definitely improved in the Premier League in recent weeks there's no question about that but I think the cold hard fact is that almost single-handedly he's cost Manchester United seven points in Europe. Um, I mean, tonight, certainly the first two, arguably the third, and the nature of the second goal is just so far off being good enough. And, and he'll know that himself. I mean, he used up his opportunity to explain and apologise the first time he made an error in the Champions League this season. He could have done several post-match interviews already. Yeah, you can do that once, maybe twice, but when it keeps happening, just looking through my messages, one of them is Andre Nana is a goalkeeper who has made the most errors leading to opposition goals in the Champions League since 2018-2019, in brackets, seven. I mean... You consider of those seven mistakes, four of them are in the last five games. He was actually the most experienced Champions League player on that pitch at kickoff tonight. I mean, he got to the final, of course, of... Inter Milan, as we know, last season as well. His level is so far beyond what he's shown for United in the Champions League this season. Surely. Last season, Pep Guardiola picked him out, not in a sort of magnanimous way when you've won. He really raved about his quality for, for Inter Milan. And when he signed, you could see why Eric Ten Hag wanted him. You've seen evidence of how United want to play with him, probably best in that first half at Arsenal. Even tonight, he moved forward to the halfway line at one point and played a long ball forward, but I watched him closely tonight. He gave the ball away twice in the first seven minutes with poor distribution. And that would have been forgotten about had he not made the higher-profile mistakes. Uh, the positioning was poor, or it seemed to me, in the stadium. 
for the goal. Eric Ten Hag was defensive. The wall him. was really bad yeah. for that first goal as well. I mean, and that's his responsibility to set up as well. Eric Ten Hag was and is defensive of him, and you would expect that because of course he, he, he is his player, and it cost a lot of money. And I think he will get as many chances as a player can possibly get without it starting to look ridiculous. And he has had he has had good matches, but when that second goal went in tonight, you just it was a head in the hands moment. Apart from the Turkish journalist sat next to me who were going absolutely mental. The guy next to me didn't stop smoking throughout the whole game. I took a picture and he went through three packets of cigarettes. Now there's no way he smoked sixty. I don't even think it's possible to smoke sixty inside ninety <laughs> you minutes. Die. It was on his third packet, and I've got photographic evidence to prove it. And I felt like saying, are you allowed to smoke in this stadium? But the fact they kept putting a cigarette underneath the table suggests it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe not. There was a fight was he lighting me. up with every chance or something? Yeah, <laughs> he was. There was a fight behind me between two Galatasaray fans who obviously didn't see eye to eye on, on things. But Anana's going to become a talking point. Now, if United go into the Europa League, you've got to think that um, the Turkish goalkeeper is going to get a chance. And he, the Turkish journalists were asking about him because he's a top-level goalkeeper for Fenerbahce. And they're like, why has he not been playing at all? And when United played in the Europa League, Sergio Romero was a mainstay, was really important. And that's happened with other goalkeepers in the Europa League. So maybe we'll see more of him if United go into the Europa League. But yeah, they, they were howlers. They were howlers and they'll be hammered for them. Manchester United are more likely to go into the Europa League now because um, we've got full time at the Allianz Arena, haven't we, Laurie? What's it ended? Nil-nil. It has ended nil-nil. So, um, yeah, that means that United can go through if they beat Bayern Munich at Old Trafford under the floodlights and Copenhagen and Galatasaray draw. Whereas if Bayern Munich had won tonight, then United could have still gone through with a victory if Copenhagen had beat Galatasaray, if Manchester right. United's goal difference overall in the group had been better than Copenhagen's overall in the group. Um, it was getting complicated if that had happened, but I'm not <laughs> I mean, none of United, these three teams really deserve to go through, did they? <laughs> I'm not convinced United are going to beat Bayern Munich either in that final group game, although... We'll come on to later whether we think you know a, a sustained run in the Europa League in the second half of the season is a good idea or not. Laurie, what do you think about Onana? <sighs> yeah, I was I was really hoping that he'd kind of turn the corner a bit and kind of just got settled and was was not trying to do well, it looked like that too didn't many it? things. And I think actually that was exactly his fault again tonight. Where that the first one is just yeah, as you say, really bad wall organization. But then it's those two crucial steps. It wasn't just one step to the left. He didn't trust his wall clearly. Um, so he's taken a, a shuffle and then he's taken another step to the left. And he's just, the ball's not even anywhere near the corner. Um, you know, I sort of compared it to Mario Basler, you know, in '99, but I think it's even worse than that one. <laughs> um, and the second one, it's almost like he's. It's not at him that it's obviously come through some bodies, but it's almost like he's seen it with enough time to think, right, I actually can I can sort of punch it away here. And instead of doing that, it's just like punched it into his own net. Um, and if he'd just sort of concentrated on just trying to block it in any way, then it would have been a more simple save. Um, yeah, and obviously his position for the third one. I mean, it's an incredible strike, isn't it? But Yeah, the third one's maybe harsh, but you yeah. end up adding it on, don't you, because of the first two in a way, <laughs> yeah, which is probably it. a yeah, bit the, unfair. Yeah, the mitigation you give him is, is shredded because of uh, the previous instances. Yeah, it, it's a concern, and but 
you know, Tenag's in a bind, really, isn't it? Because he is that's his guy. You know, he was brought in to kind of try and transform United's way of playing. And as Andy said, it's it's not really happening though, is it? I mean, there's some moments, Carl touched on it, you didn't you at Goodison where he kind of put his foot on the ball, but it's not like we're seeing, you know, these really intricate passing moves out of defence that he's helping with. Although having said that, the first goal did stem from Onana because um, it was actually a bit of a, a pressurised situation that he was put in by Amrabat, I think. Um, and he, he went long, to be fair. He went, well, he went midfield. And because you got McTominay there in that, you know, centre circle role, in the Mero and Fellaini role, I suppose, he wins it in the air, you know, th- th- and he brings the momentum and then United build and, and end up scoring a really good goal. Um, but I don't I don't really think that's the archetypal way that Tanag would go for Onana, you know, passing the ball out. But... Um, so I think Tenag's in a bind where he's brought him in. He's changed the whole situation around the goalkeepers. Bayern Day is is he could could he step in? Could could would he would he take the plunge and go? Actually, this is too many times now, Andre Onana, and particularly in the Bayern Munich game because it's all it's kind of it's all been in the Champions League really, hasn't it? That these calamities have have happened, um, and with such a crucial game uh, coming up against Bayern for United's. It's it's bigger than just the Champions League and wanting a good run there. It, you know the financial implications of it are huge. Yeah, I mean he's got the joint most clean sheets in the Premier League, Carl. But United have conceded thirty three goals in the opening twenty matches of the season. That's the most since nineteen sixty two sixty three. They've conceded fourteen goals in the first five games in the Champions League. That's the most ever by an English club at this stage. And in fact, in the competition this season, at the last time I managed to check before we started recording, I think only Royal Antwerp had conceded more. And it's only about a decade ago that Manchester United sent their reserves to play for them. So I know they've undergone a bit of a renaissance since, but it's not good, it's not good is it? It's not good. So we're, we're talking about a Manchester United team that have scored 12 goals in the group stages. They're the third highest goal scorers in the Champions League group stages. And yet they're just nowhere across it because Onana is actively spreading fear across his back line now. I don't think Ziyech has a goal on that second free kick if the first one hasn't gone in. I also think the third goal doesn't go in if your man from Galatasaray has gone, this guy's kind of shaky. I'm going to have a pop. During the Everton game, I sort of, I set myself up for failure because I saw I, I I tweeted into Milan fans that Onana parry this many shots back into <laughs> dangerous areas. I got a bombardment of United fans going, shouldn't you done your scouting? Shouldn't you already know this? And I went, yeah, I do. I did do my scouting. I did watch things, but there does seem to be a noticeable uptick on how many shots Onana is parrying instead of actively catching it. Um, I've made my request in a data team, and they've given me every single save Onana made last season for Inter Milan in the league and the Champions League. And I've got every single save he's made before this game as well. So now I'm just putting into tally chart. Here we go. Save, parry, save, parry, save, parry. And a piece will come out soon so I can give you a definitive answer as to is Onana the same goalkeeper he was at Inter Milan or is something happened since he's arrived in England? That will come out soon. And it... <sighs> There was that one in the first half, wasn't there, where he parried it and he then jumped up afterwards. It was kind of he did. It's odd. I don't, I don't know what the my favourite one was. Goodison Park when he he punched the ball and made that much of a mess of it. It just went up in the air and then he caught it. I thought that was a, a lovely little bit of party imp- trick improvisation. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. that stat though, Ian? I don't know if you've seen it. The, the stats bomb have, have uh, put one out. Was it today? I think or yesterday? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he, so he's apparently saved. 8.6 goals above the expected base on shots he's faced this season, more than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League. And, and which I think is that's, astonishing. 
And I think that's the point of defence for him as well. I mean, even tonight, I think they had something like seven or eight shots on target. And yeah, was the because point of the volume was, of shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I was going to sort of develop. His save percentage is really good in the Premier League as well. I think he's top two or three. Um, but in terms of shots faced, he's up there. You know, it, there's, there's relegation goalkeepers who have who have had less shots on target to deal with. If you are listening to this podcast and you're saying and you're thinking I'm not having Onana, we should play Ryan Deer. I'm not going to argue with you there. Right there is there is a reasonable body of evidence right now to suggest Onana is hurting his team at this point in time, and I don't quite trust him. And teams are beginning to have a go in places where they wouldn't normally have a go. And if you want to put in a new goalkeeper there, fine. I will say, I still think United will be better off eventually having moved on from De Gea. Maybe Onana's not the person, but you did need to cut the cord from De Gea eventually. So you're not one of these people that's saying, David De Gea's still a free agent. <laughs> He's oh, still no, still what? playing Padel in the Greater Manchester area. 20, 20, you know. Padel? 27. Is that how you say it? I just made it even posher. Is it Paddle? How do you say it? It's already played by the middle classes. You don't need to make it anymore. Well, I thought thought it was, I thought it was like some continental game where you have to pronounce it right. Darling, would you like a game of Padel maybe tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Stockport's finest, Laurie Whitwell. Go on, lad. If you're talking about 2017, there, yeah, okay, we've got a conversation there. If you're talking about 2023, there, I will remind you what happened when United went over to Sevilla, right? There's there's a problem with goalkeepers right now at Manchester United, which also comes down to the fact that Manchester United are so porous in midfield and defence, right? Any goalkeeper coming in right now, you're going to have to face eight shots on target per game because United can't hold on to possession in midfield and the defence, for various reasons, can only... You know, they can only handle a certain critical mass. Uh, and I was watching that game on TNT Sport and I listened to Robbie Savage go, look at look at Bruno Fernandes' recovery run. Look how good this is. And then he just It was the worst into a man. timing, wasn't it? The commentator's into a man. live in action. Gives away, both, both free gives away are, a free kick. A, a, a poor from Bruno Fernandes yeah. as well, Really, yeah. really poor free kicks. And these free kicks are coming because of a... Because of just a defensive scheme just collapses, you know, Manchester United tried to mark man-to-man here uh, and then Galatasaray went, all right, we'll, we'll pull you out of position. Scott McTominay wasn't really doing his job. He's far too ahead of the ball. He's on the same line as Hoyland for that first free kick and it's Bruno Fernandes having the track back, eventually getting frustrated that no one else is helping him out and going, fine, I'll foul him here and hopefully Onana will do his job. At this point in time, Onana can't really do his job. So this is the problem. There's a you know they always say is always oh, individual errors, but at a certain point individual errors stop being individual and start becoming a, a symptom of a wider structural issue, and the structural issue right now is Manchester United cannot control games because their midfield setup is a complete mess, um, and I think the way you know I think their defensive scheme that man to man thing it just isn't working. Andy Mitten, your heads in your hands. What else was wrong then for United tonight? I mean, one thing that stood out to me was was Sofian Amrabat being selected. He hadn't started a game for United in in over a month since being taken off at half-time of the Manchester derby. He seemed a surprise inclusion. Just that whole sort of midfield area, again, didn't seem to be ideal for United. And that came after, obviously, Kobe Mainu had such a, a brilliant game at Goodison Park at the weekend. I spoke to Robbie Savage before the game and he said he had to go with Amrabat. There's no way he could have gone with Kobe Mainu. And I said, why? Because he was a... Premier League midfielder, Robbie. I know he's not always flavour of the month with Manchester United fans, but I respect his views on on football. And I felt that Amrabat 
was pretty stable tonight. He does have experience playing in this competition. I know everyone was raving about Cobby, and I can understand why after Sunday when when he was excellent. But he's still he's still young. I thought Amrabat he got booked, I think, but I thought he was all right. He let Scott McTominay go forward. I don't think he was a major issue. I think United had plenty of chances to score, especially towards the end. And I've been pretty disappointed with Amrabat. I've mentioned a few times. Didn't have glowing reports to the people I spoke to about him. Another symptom of current Manchester United having to go for lone players. Sabits are class players, decent players, but would they get into top Manchester United teams? I don't think they would would come close to that. The manager goes with the players who he knows, who he trusts, and I think he did that tonight in selecting Amrabat. Uh, I think Cobby will get plenty of chances, but... Fans shouldn't get too carried away with him. It's incredibly exciting when a young player comes through, but he is a young player. He will be inconsistent. And I, I just trust the manager to hopefully blend him in so that it becomes regular. But we've seen it with Garnacho. You know, he'll have these incredible moments. And then he'll have three or four games where he gets real minutes and, and disappoints. So I'm pretty trusting of Ten Hag there. But Ten Hag's got to get it right for himself as well. He praised Zayic's free kicks. I thought that was odd because it's just a way of defending um, Andre Anana. And I get why managers defend players and I get why players get really annoyed when they get called out in public. But Tenag is going is gonna to back his, the players that he has brought in, the ones that he's really pushed for. And as we've spoke about a lot on this pod even, um, Getting rid of De Gea was was a big call. If you look at this midfield now, you miss him. Casemiro, who was probably Manchester United's best player, top three of the in the team last season. Big big loss. Even in the Champions League this season, he's been scoring plenty of goals. So it's a lot to put on Kobe. Amrabat technically, I don't think has has the ability to to shine. Scott was really trying to get forward. He shot over two or three times. Scott trying to get forward is part of the problem as to why yeah, United yeah. did not win yeah, that game. Yeah. There, there was a point I, late I in the second half. Well. McTominay gave a pretty good post-game interview and he says, you know, we, we, at a certain point, you've got to kill the game off. And then he kept talking about killing the game off involves scoring another goal. But at a certain point, and this is, I think this is the reason why so many United fans got so excited about Maynou against Everton, because Maynou's version of killing the game off is, I'm going to slow things down I'm going to make sure there is an extra person in front of my defence. I'm going to stand in right position. I'm going to make that block. I'm going to make that goal line clearance. I'm going to shepherd a player out wide. I'm going to keep the ball. I'm going to, I'm keep... going to be press resistant and and keep the ball and get myself out of difficult yeah. situations. The core is going to be running towards my back and I'm not going to back heel it or pass it back to Lindelof and put him under pressure. Whereas McTominay just kept going forward. Well, and that's, well, his, my... that's his job now, basically. My question there is, is that... It can't be McTominay taking license into his own hands. Finance, it? It's manager's got, no. instructions. It's, it's Ten Hag. Yeah. It's, it's got to surely it has that has to be Ten Hag's instruction to have that one sitter in Amrabat and then Maynu and then Bruno and, and and McTominay bombing on. And obviously it worked for the first. It was some great football for the first twenty minutes. And if if, if McTominay, you know, so is that in game management then? Bruno. Well, this is it. It's it's either it's well to start the game they needed to win right. So that's probably why he's gone with that attacking. Um, you know, thrust to, to begin with. Yeah. And maybe they think, well, we can't really defend, you know, <laughs> to a clean sheet. So yeah, we do need a third. Um, and then obviously that's the that's the attack where if McTominay 
cuts it back to Bruno and then he he scores. That's three nil. Maybe that is game over. Instead, it's a you know different cross and and Bruno gets annoyed and, and runs back and concedes a foul and it's two one and the whole flow of the game is is different. Um, but I I, I mean Tenag afterwards said yeah it's it's you know the players uh, at fault. It's me at fault. You know I. You know, share. I, I take the blame if we don't go through here. It's it's on me, which obviously I think he has to do. But it is just. I'm, but he also spoke glowingly about the proactive um, style that his team played in and, and goals. And so you you sort of thinking, okay, well this is this is obviously what he wants then. So you know, where's where's that nuance? Proactive. You're three two up, and you're three two up. You're away from home. The proactive thing there to do is not to go searching for a fourth. It's to kill the game off for ten minutes. Like, this is why I keep saying United were juvenile naive. They're not, they can't do it. And I, I watched that, I watched when Amrabat came off for Manu and I'm going, hmm, probably should have taken Scott off here. You know, you can talk about Harry Hindsight, as Ollie would like to say, but it, it just felt like the wrong substitution because McTominay now is best off later over to the box, getting goals like he did for the third. It was really, really good finish. I was joking, he's, you know, he's the Scottish Jude Bellingham to my mates. But in terms of, Offering something in possession, in those deeper areas, calming things down, or even, you know, making the tackles that Scott McTominay used to make in 2020 and 2021. He's not even doing that anymore. He is now an attacking player. It's just been on the news here that um, that shot he had, they found the ball in the Bosphorus, they just fished it out <laughs> of it. Sorry, carry on. Like, Scott, Scott McTominay is legitimately one of your, your, your most informed goal scorers, but also when you throw one up, and you want to control a game, you don't need him. We, we can go back to the treble season and Manchester United was so exciting in that Champions League campaign. You couldn't take your eyes off those matches. They were three all draws, but they were three all draws in the new camp against a, a brilliant Barcelona team. It was United going toe-to-toe with the very best. This isn't a very good Galatasaray team tonight. I mean, you know, you can talk up some of their qualities and... I don't think they'd won at home for about seven Champions League games or something like that. You know, it's not, they're not a brilliant side, and United have taken one point against them in the in in the two matches against them in the group stage. And when United were at their very best for me in Europe under Sir Alex Ferguson, a lot of the matches were really boring, especially the away games because they just strangled the life out of the game. They kept the ball. They they, they controlled the crowd, they controlled the tempo and the whole thing. And that's when you get to the point where you are a top-level side, Laurie, isn't it? That That is, that's the ultimate level of proactivity or control or measure or whatever, is that it doesn't have to be fun or anything like that. It can just be really standard, boring and rudimental in a way. Yeah, I mean, Paul Scholes afterwards said you don't win games like that by just bombing forwards away from home in Europe. Well, no. specific. Yeah, exactly. He, he was away in San Siro, wasn't he? Scoring that goal to, to make it 1-1 and then they were able to to kill that game and, and that was United through uh, to the semi-finals. You know, so it, it is, it's, you know, it's, it might be boring, but you'd certainly enjoy it more, wouldn't you, Ian? If United won yeah. one nil and, and we're yeah. actually there, okay, we're going to get into the last 16 here. It's something that you wonder, you'd really be fascinated to know the, those kind of conversations on the training pitch and then at half time and on the touchline, what are they thinking? And I think, Carl, you mentioned about the substitutions. I mean, yeah, to make that sub at 3-1 as well, you've got to look back and think that, that was a mistake. And I do wonder as well if then the later substitutions, I know Wambasaka was on a booking, um, I know... Uh, Garnacho maybe was tiring 
um, and Palestrian Dallo both did things when they came on, but I don't know. It, it I'm not sure that Palestrian could have United. had a hat trick. Palestrian could have had, yeah. had a hat trick. The moment Dallo comes on for Wambasaka, you can see Zaha got an extra spring in his step. And oh, we went past him twice so easily, this, didn't it? And, and that could have been a goal for Galatasaray. I could have been lost. If this had happened once in this Champions League campaign, fine. But the fact <laughs> it's happened against, you know, Manchester United 2-1 up against Galatasaray at home. You win that game. You see it out. You make the necessary changes. You hunker down. You don't be stupid. And what we had was Anana did a hospital pass to Casemiro. Casemiro gets sent off. Everything starts unraveling. Blah, 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 blah. Manchester United 2-0 up against FC Copenhagen in the first half. You tune, you tune up. Okay, Marcus Rashford's been sent off because of the VAR. Get in at half time and make sure you're still in the lead. Right, hunker down, keep your shape. Don't go bombing and going to try and kill off a game by getting another goal. This is what, and this, you know, this is why when it got to two 0 I was going, this is going too well. <laughs> and you are correct. You, I can, I agree with you entirely, Laurie, when you say McTominay's clearly following the instructions, and his instructions now is get forward. But McTominay. He's one of the more experienced players at Man United now, right? He's, he's played in the Europa League final. He's, he's made deep... He's played against PSG. He's played against PSG... He's played against PSG multiple times. He's played against some of the biggest teams in Europe. And okay, you know, sometimes he's won, sometimes he's lost. He should know or should have the awareness in a game to go, hang on, we're, we're under a bit of pressure here. I'm going to drop back a little bit and start playing like I used to next to Fred. It is interesting that he was, he was Jose Mourinho loved him so much. And I, I know it was a bit of a point against Paul Popper, wasn't it, at that period? But he brought him in because he would just do the simple thing mm-hmm. and stay in a particular spot and, and give it simply. Andy, what do you, you were there. What was the atmosphere like? And do you think that had any contribution to how United played that game? It's a good question. I, I saw Rio Ferdinand before the game and he said he deliberately chosen to come to Istanbul because he wanted to see the atmosphere and to hear it and he could have easily stayed back in the UK and he said I never actually played it um, and I was surprised at that because there were a couple of times when he was at the club when Manchester United played it um, it's it's unbelievable it's just so much louder than any Premier League game even in the hours leading up to the match the main ultra group they set off the other three sides of the ground and it just builds and builds and builds. And there are modern touches, the loudspeakers do kick in. But once they go and the game starts, there's just this primal scream and, and this roar. It's just loud. I, I said um, in, in the last podcast about the decibel readers, it was 131, the reading. It's unsafe for the human ear or unpleasant going above 110. So I love watching football in Turkey. And my passion for it hasn't been dimmed by that disappointing result uh, tonight. And Galatasaray's new stadium, it is modern. It's probably like the Emirates, but with noise. It isn't the old Ali Samien Stadium. But the, the fans are incredibly passionate. I took a metro to the ground. And you've got to have your wits about you over here, especially with the history between the two clubs and with English clubs. and Your you history, know, yeah. One Galatasaray. <laughs> Fan opposite, and I just said, Stadium this way. And he said, Yes, yeah, come with me. And he put his arm around me, and I sort of trusted him. And he guided me through the shortcuts in the metro and said, You come to take a whiskey with me? And I thought, I can't be drinking alcohol, I've got to work, but I'll come and have a drink with you. And we went and we had a coffee, and he was from close to the Syrian border. And I really enjoyed that. And his English was about as good as my Turkish. 
So we were communicating <laughs> through Google Translate, and he was telling me about the number of UNESCO sites in in his town. And I'm like, oh, but you love that? Oh, I loved it. He was just a really nice guy, that. and then. He, he he phoned his family up on video call and said, "Look, I've got I've got an English person here. Amazing. <laughs> here he is. Hi, I'm an English person. <laughs> and he was a Galatasaray season ticket holder, and it's just a really nice experience that came out of me asking somebody, um, "Is this the right metro stop?" And he could have turned on me, but but he didn't. But they are great fans, <laughs> and cast fans are as well, and Fenerbahce fans are. I've just had a mad taxi driver coming back because I missed that Metro. And he, he made the grave mistake of calling Manchester United Manchester City. So <laughs> let all four tyres down when he went to uh, <laughs> fill, up, fill, fill up his car. It's a top city, this, and we should mention 2,500 United fans travelled here. The rains have been biblical all day. I went to the 19s game. The 19s lost 1-0 in a really cool stadium in a smart part of town. And I think it was well organised, keeping the United fans away from the Galatasaray fans because flashpoints absolutely can happen. But maybe in time I'll look back and think that was a wonderful game of football. And I was just, my emotions were all over the place watching it because you know it's brilliant, you know it's exciting. You're saying to yourself, you can't possibly... um see your team throw away a 3-1 lead but in the back of your mind you know that absolutely this is capable of happening and did happen because you've seen Manchester United do this um, so so many times Andy thank you for joining us mate it's about 2 o'clock in the morning there is it something like that so I'll let you go and um, I'll preview Newcastle with these two but we'll see you on the next one thanks I'm going to go straight to bed I'm exhausted take care no night, mate. Next week. sleep Great time there, Andy. Andy. nice one this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, if a trip to Goodison Park was good and a trip to Galatasaray wasn't so much, what will a trip to St. James's Park this weekend hold for this Manchester United team? It's been quite a week already uh, and I feel like Saturday will be pretty eventful as well. We own one, Carl, don't we, after the League Cup and that sort of surrender of a, a defeat last season at St. James's Park? Yeah, yeah. Although I watched that game against PSG on Tuesday and I did start getting a bit nervous because they are really really defensively disciplined now I have a friend who called them Atletico well, yeah, Tyneside they, they rode their luck didn't they they did ride their luck but I think they had seven big chances PSG seven That's big chances before a yeah. questionable penalty the thing about Newcastle is obviously you know they, they beat Manchester United with a scratch side in the League Cup and now they've six got full backs. six full I'll backs I'll never forget that as long as I live and now they've got some of their better players returning you know, Anthony Gordon's going to be there Feels weird to call him one of the better players, but he's been in good form this season. Miguel Almiron is always oh, seems to verge of injury, but he seems to be doing well. Buna Gimash, 
is the sort of defensive midfield player I would have liked to see in a Man United shirt, but we'll move. Uh, and Alexander Isak is, to my mind, a future superstar as well. So they've got good players. It's a Saturday night game. The eight o'clock kickoff really winds me up. Um, I'm sure if Andy was here, he'd make a comment about the trains and how annoying it'd be to get from A to B so late in the day. But this is going to be really hard against a team now, this Newcastle team. They're really physical. They really get in your face and they're going to want to scrap a bit. And we've seen from this Manchester United team that not everyone is up for scrapping. Yeah, how do you feel about it, Laurie? I mean, United's record against Newcastle recently isn't great either. Uh, The last time United beat Newcastle in the Premier League actually was Cristiano Ronaldo's second debut, which feels like ages ago. Oh, wow. Right, was it? Yeah. Steve Bruce's Newcastle. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, they've moved on from that, haven't they? The only reason why I might just touch on the penalty again, which I feel was an (laughs) absolute disgrace. He's going um, for it. it, It's just because, like Everton, you know, they they might feel some kind of injustice and and want... I know it's a different competition and, and, you know, maybe I'm I'm getting reading too much into this, but that might just spur them on to, to try and really produce against United again. Are you saying that Alejandro Garnacho needs to score an overhead kick after two minutes again? Well, is that, is that, what's, well, that mean, what needs to happen? His finish tonight was, was pretty spectacular as well. Fantastic, wasn't I it? I mean, another, oh, yeah. another day, that is like, wow, this this kid is is really the real deal. I mean, that's what Rio Ferdinand called him on commentary. Um, and it's like with Hoyland this season in the Champions League, though. There's been a couple of times where you really want those young lads to be the story. Yeah. Um, and it's just not happened, does it? It's glimpses, isn't it, of a potentially, you know, really exciting future, but you just want it to be the present. You know, you don't want to have to really wait for it. You know, it should it shouldn't be that United <laughs> are always thinking about the the never never or you know that oh, in in, th- in three or four years these these players this team will be great. You know, it kind of needs to be um, right now. But I don't know. I sense that at least it feels like they they can create chances now. I mean, I, that will be really tested against Newcastle, as Carl said. Um, they've got so many injuries, but the fact that they're able to just organise well, they, they, they're committed, aren't they? They know each other's roles. I think having Kieran Trippier right back is such a huge thing for them because he just is he, such a presence. He knows what everyone should be doing. He's so experienced, but also gives them that threat from a set piece if they get a free kick, you know, in the in the opposition half or a corner or something. And so really United, United should be going there wanting to win and, and feeling like they can win despite all the kind of context of it and the fact that St. James's Park I'm sure will be very noisy on a Saturday night I mean wow it's been, it's been pretty noisy there the last couple of times United have played and and I think that really does that, that really does inspire the Newcastle players because it's because so much of their game is about hard running and pressing from the front that you need a crowd to kind of be on your side with that and, and encouraging you and keeping you going and um yeah, like Carl said, I think Anthony Gordon's really surprised me. Uh, I think he is, you know, not only does he have that high energy running, but I think he's actually, you know, pretty good technically, uh, better than I thought he was. Uh, as he says, Isaac, I, I think he's a really great striker, uh, very skillful. Um, you just think that they don't have that many options to change things around. So um, hopefully, I mean, they didn't make a substitution, did they, in Paris? I don't know how much that will affect them going into the game. Did you see the bench? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know if they're going to have... Anybody three keepers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, three keepers. Uh, Miley, the the seven seventeen year old, is now yeah, he looked good. Out now. He's, yeah, he's, Lewis Miley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's so, bigger than I thought he was as well. When I saw him next to a couple of players, I was like, oh, he's actually he's not this kind of diminutive sort of teenager. He's uh, he's quite you know physically were covered there. Um, Newcastle were big now. You know, Jamal Sells has come in really, really well and covered in Sven Botsman's injury. He's done ridiculously well. Mm. I mean, he'd barely played mm. uh, for. 
a couple of seasons, really, and he's just slotted in seamlessly. Which shows the strength of Newcastle's coaching at this point in time, in that players can come in and come out, yeah. and they know exactly all their roles, and, and they know how to play, which is aggressive front press, counter press really, really hard. So if you lose the ball, you've got to go chase it and run it back. This might be a game, and this feels sacrilegious. I, you know, I think at this point in time, Garnacho has the lead in the left wing spot. He's got two. He's got two goals right now. I, I quite enjoyed the silliness he did when he tried shushing the Galatasaray fans. And then Bruno Fernandes, everyone else, going, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't rile them up. We're really sorry. Um, but Garnacho's in good form. I, I'd like to see him continue in the left wing, which then creates a situation. Do you want to keep Rashford on the right or keep Anthony on there as well? Um, and if Hoyland can play 90 minutes, play him up top as well. So if United are going to get anything from this, it, it's, it's probably going to need some of the control that Maynou can bring to the team. And then hopefully, let's see if, if McTominay can continue his uh, crash, bang, wallop, late arrivals into the box stuff. Yeah, because the thing is, Laurie, that the league is looking very competitive in the in the top sort of seven or eight places. Um, United obviously now four points off the top four in sixth place, six points off the top of the table, incredibly, despite how weird this season has been so far. Newcastle are behind them in the table, of course, a point behind them. So, And you think that the matches between the teams are going to be really important um, in the remainder of this campaign. And it's a, a record, certainly away from home under Ten Hag, that United really do need to address. Far too often they have, you know, they've, they've succumbed to the opposition atmosphere really and, and they've the, the, the kind of the, the way that games can ebb and flow and, and not been able to just, you know, strangle it really. Um, familiar pattern and as Carl's touched on, what what sort of function of midfield do you have to kind of stimmy that? I mean, do, do you start with a more conservative team with the idea that actually you can then step on the gas in the second half because Newcastle, you know, are so hit by injuries and, and can't really yeah. change things. I wonder if that might be one solution and therefore would that mean Amrabat and Maynard? Would that would that be two sort of um, restrictive to United's attacking potential? I, I don't know. I'm trying to sort of make it up in my head as I'm, I'm thinking. But I mean, I suppose the simplest thing is just to start the same team as, you know, against Everton, but with Hoyland instead of Martial. That, that's a winning team. But I am a little bit conscious of the fact that, you know, in certain moments, Newcastle can really spark and can just chase after defenders and, and cause turnovers. And, you know, we saw that the Arsenal game where it was kind of an absolutely chaotic goal that they scored you know it's that kind of feel that you, you, you get in Newcastle and you know that that's the kind of goal that United are susceptible to the the, the kind of the un, unexpected the, the the pinball sort of <laughs> aspect to it all um and, and yeah Newcastle seem to thrive in those occasions we can contribute to that I don't think there's any question about that is there definitely um, we love a bit of pinball I'm, at Man United yeah. right now <laughs> uh, I'm gonna finish with um a debate that I don't really want to have, but I feel like we need to have it now. Um, I think I know where you're going. We're staring down, <laughs> down the barrel of um, a certain situation. So there is a permutation where Manchester United can still go through in the Champions League, and that's for United to beat Bayern Munich and for FC Copenhagen and Galatasaray to draw in their final group game. So it could happen. If it didn't, United obviously then could still go through to the Europa League for the second half of the season, which would involve a playoff game like they had last season against Barcelona. So an extra two matches inserted to, a, you know, an already sort of packed 
knockout phase um, of the Europa League. Or they could go up out of Europe altogether, which they've not done for a long time. But with it being so competitive, with the issues that United have had this season with injuries, um, also sort of struggling to find rhythm, Carl if you could pick and we can't pick and it's a bit of a weird question but if you could pick for the eventuality to work out how you want it to work out which of the three options would you go with oh oh, oh, oh. <laughs> get in the Europa League I, I know people would be really annoyed at having to play on Thursdays and having to play on Sundays again but as my friend is pointing out I guarantee you no matter what happens if, if United don't end up in the Champions League the UK TV broadcasters are going to pick United to play on Sundays, regardless of in the Europa League or not, right? The moment United, you can move them, they're going to get stuck on Sundays, they're going to get stuck on Mondays because no matter what happens, Manchester United get loads of eyeballs. So it might be a bit of an ag to be back in the Europa, but I think that'd be a useful means to get consistency and reps from a number of players that, Need it, you know. I, I want to see more Garnacho this season. I want to see more Manu this season. Anthony doesn't seem to be a top-level Premier League winger, but he does seem to play better against in, in Europe, right? He, he was better against not a great Galatasaray team, and he's had some pretty good contributions against Barcelona and other teams. So, if you want to keep Anthony in there, which is uh, you know, that's your discretion. I know people at this podcast are listening, going, "He's rubbish. I don't want him anymore." If you if you want to keep him, he'll be all right in the Europa League. And I'm doing like a gesture away and gesture back. So would you rather go through to the Europa League than stay in the Champions League, Carl? No, no. I'd, no, okay. I'd much rather. So that's just an obvious question, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Stay in the Champions League because you, you need the money and also you need the coefficient. Um, as we're at this point in time and the top four might be changing to a top five with the Swiss format, whatnot, the English teams need to yeah. do very well to make sure the fifth place team in the Premier League gets the Champions League spot. United crashing out now is bad not just for United but for all the teams in that top six top seven because they want that fifth spot so if you have an option finish in the Champions League and okay you've pulled into Milan or Real Madrid out the hat for the next round bring it on we know that we can score three goals away from home anyway isn't it exciting when we want to continue in the Champions League to help the Swiss model of coefficient <laughs> <laughs> um, so considering that's our option A Laurie what's option B uh, what you're asking me the same question as Carl? What would I? Yeah, I, I would also. I'd like Europa League uh, dash uh, for the same reasons or different. Well, well, no, I was just looking at the teams that are in it then, uh, and and part of my reasoning, um, and, and this probably sounds very selfish with a, a newborn, um, but uh, is is seeing if there's anywhere new that I can go, uh, <laughs> or United okay. fans in general. I genuinely thought you were about to say so we can stop Liverpool from winning it. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean that could be fun. Uh, I know we've we've met there, haven't we, before, and it was a bit of a damp squib, but... Um, United and Newcastle could end up in the Europa League, to be fair, just to yeah. add to the mix. Okay, that would be, that would be a bit, that'd be a bit there tedious, some, really. There what, you want very some good crazy in Europa League this locations season. to go to. I mean, Carabag are in there. They're, they're, in, they're currently in the, the knockout round playoff uh, position um, of Baku, or what? that's where they've yeah, located now. Yeah, you've been now. to Baku before, haven't you? I know, I know. So maybe, I don't know, if you fancied that one, Carl, feel free. It's a, it's a lovely city. Um <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, to be fair, I'm actually looking at these these names now. There's, there's not that much, you know, <laughs> glamour you're, or, or you're even. You're talking yourself out of this. I know. I've, I've, I've suddenly. <laughs> well, let, let's talk ourselves out of it just 
to even play devil's advocate, Laurie, if United weren't to be in Europe in the second half of the season, do you think there could be some benefit to that? Or yeah. is it just a stupid conversation? No, no, I absolutely do. The benefit would be time on the training pitch, which is something that I think Ten Hag has, even since he joined, felt that there's not been enough of. You know, when then you've had a pre-season tour to America and after you know the year previous, you know, Australia and Thailand, you know, it's it's it, there's been a lot of travel in pre-season. How much you know, really great training blocks are you getting in there. And I know then, you know, you need the matches to, to really test these methods that you, you're putting into practice um, at Carrington. But I feel like that would just allow a bit of room to breathe. Um, we saw the benefit that, you know, for example, uh, Chelsea had. I know th- this is a bit of a different situation because they went and won the league th- that year when they had no Europe after the Mourinho meltdown season. Six points off the top. Well, well, but okay, yeah, fair enough, maybe. <laughs> I mean, zero goal difference just still blows my mind. And yeah, the fact that... I, mean, I suppose at least this Newcastle game would... If United won that, you'd start thinking, okay, you know, maybe they, they are able to get points against teams other than the ones that are, you know, circling around the bottom. Tottenham play Manchester City this weekend as well. So if that goes to form and City beat them, that means United could be as little as one point outside the top four with a victory at St. James's Park. And then it is beginning to look a bit better, isn't it? I think Carl's point though about the extra place for the Champions League, which still probably should go to England, right, as one of them. Um, this is really sexy stuff, isn't it? The old, the old Swiss. Come on, the coefficients. Um, I, I think that would that would necessarily mean that you know United should try and go in as many competitions still this season. You know, there's a bit more wriggle room, shall we say, in the league. Coefficient um, Reds, we are here. I feel like I'm, I'm missing out. I've not I've not done a little tune yet myself. Um, you know, you two are producing the, the beautiful tones between you. Uh, it's one word for it, isn't it? <laughs> right. Let's leave it there before we sing anything else. But thank you for your company, Laurie and Carl. Um, it was nice to have Andy on from Istanbul earlier as well. He looked absolutely knackered, bless him. Um, but it was good to get him on and get his thoughts on what was a crazy game for Manchester United once again in the Champions League. Um, thank you for your company listening as well. As always, we'll be back after Newcastle, whatever happens. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.